Hey, everybody. It is Tumble Vision episode 60 with the magical Courtney Stanton. I'm your host, Heather Gold, with co-hosts Deb Schultz and Kevin Marks. And today, Deb, we're going to talk about uh, tumbling the haters and making an environment where you can figure out how to deal with people who give you all kinds of crap. And what else, Deb, what else are we going to talk about? And we are going to talk about the role of empathy online in tumbling the haters. And Kevin? Yes, the, the lack of empathy is the root of all evil. And Courtney, what else is, are we going to have going on? Uh, well, because I'm here, there's going to be video games a lot. Uh, and also, unfortunately, rape. <laughs> in that order. And because of that, I'll be time traveling to part two, the after part of the episode, where you can hear me enjoy the show. Welcome to Tumble Vision episode 60. Today is Thursday, April 7th, 2011. We are quickly awaiting the arrival of spring. For those joining us for the first time, uh, welcome to Tumble Vision. It's a weekly salon style podcast. But how do you connect and create a world that puts people at the center of business, tech, and culture? And each week, we explore various dimensions of tumbling with the smart folks creating this new world. Then you might ask, what is tumbling? Tumbling is it comes from the Yiddish word to tumble. Sounds very much like the word tumult. And it means to make noise. And tumblers were literally hired at weddings and events to get the crowd to dance. And so in our translation, it is how do you catalyze others to action? And how do you collaborate in a networked age? How do you run things when life is no longer a bunch of command and control hierarchies? You tumble. So I am one of our co-hosts. This is Deb Schultz, and you can find me at Debs on Twitter, and I am here with my other co-host, Kevin Marks. Hi there. I'm in San Francisco, off, just off Union Square at Morph's headquarters. Kevin always comes to us from some startup or another, and I'm usually <laughs> um, working from the home office. And our third co-host, Heather, will be joining us in a little bit. And we have our guest this week is Courtney Stanton at Kirby Bits on Twitter. And Courtney is coming to us from Boston, and she is a producer at Subatomic Studios, founder of Women in Games Boston. You get the game theme going on here, as well as co-founder of a really cool cabaret and burlesque troupe with the wonderful title of Bitches of Destiny. And we pride ourselves here as being one of the only adult language business podcasts. So <laughs> we will say things like bitch, bitch, bitch all night. Oh. And so Courtney, say hi. Hi. Hi, dear. So as is our, as, as is our form here on Tumble Vision, we're going to take a look a little bit at what's gone on this week in that relates to tumbling for a couple minutes. And so, um, Kevin found us a really interesting piece, didn't you, Kev, that, of course, was on The Independent in the UK. Do you want to tell us a little about it? Sure. Now, this is um, a piece um, saying why a lack of empathy is the root of all evil. It's actually a book review of a book um, by Simon Baron Cohen, who's um, been studying empathy. And he's, you know, what... He's got a, you know, a, a, like a, one of those psychological quizzes that helps you miss your empathy. Um, right. and, and what he says is that there, there isn't a downside to having too much of this. You know, it's, it's distributed differently amongst the population, like lots of things. Um, but hmm. there's, um, the, the people who are down at the zero empathy point are, are a mixture, and, and it's basically a mixture of people who are just very, very focused or verging on the, you know, the autism spectrum um, and psychopaths because they're the people who don't have empathy at all. And if you look right. at... Um, and if you sort of c- compare this with with um, how people you know behave, then the, the, those are the ones that are often causing the trouble. Um, whereas the people at the other end of the, of the of the spectrum, which would you know which set off the they must be the tumblers um, flag in my head, are the ones who will actually work to to, to make things better in the world. So I, I was I was very interested in that one. Let me I'm, let me stick the link in the chat room. Yeah, yeah, put the link in the chat room. It is really interesting because in sort of breaking down uh, sort of the practice of what tumbling is, we often say that one of the things that you need in order to connect people to each other and sort of catalyze a sense of community and get things done in this sort of collaborative world is 
you know, getting the person on the other side of the table. And I think a big part of that is empathy. I, I couldn't help noticing, though, with a bit tongue-in-cheek, that the professor who did the study's name is Baron Cohen. <laughs> just what, I'm just wondering if he's related to a Sasha Baron Cohen, and he might very well be because they're both, right? So we, we should, someone should Google that. The Good Baron question. Cohen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. So uh, it, does he go into any uh, sort of anything as it relates to um, – I like that it's, EQ is now an empathy quotient. It used to be an emotional quotient. Now it's an empathy quotient. <laughs> does he go into any, anything about online stuff by any, by any, by any chance in this um, article? Um, not so much. Not, 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 not in this article. Um, this, no, this is this is more about society in general and the you know the big picture and atrocities and slavery and so on. Um, and so his conclusion is that you can't have enough. Why would I think you could have enough empathy? You can't. Well, so is is there is it possible to have an excess of empathy? And said so there are. This is the only case they found is someone who has um, so much empathy that they they feel others' pain so much they cannot. Um, that watch things because they will end up feeling the pain too, too much. They cannot watch dramatized productions. They cannot watch anything like that because they end up um, reacting as if it was happening to them. So right, like, they over associate, right? They've got so overdeveloped mirror neurons. Um, yeah. So that that's like. Um, whereas the you know so it's an internal effect. Whereas the people with too little empathy tends to be an external effect where they go and mess other people's lives up. Right, and they're, they're opposite sides of the same of the same coin, so to speak. Ala Freud. It's an interesting one. I, it would be really cool if someone did tests around sort of empathy. I'm sure someone has uh, empathy, whether you've seen someone in the real life versus connected with them only online, you know, and how that relates. That would be kind of interesting. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like does being in a physical? Well, I mean. I guess it probably doesn't make a difference based on what you just said, because if Baron Cohen was saying that people can't watch certain TV things or other things, then then to me that should the scale is the same no matter what. Which points out yet again, which Malcolm Gladwell will never understand, <laughs> that relationships online are just as can be just as powerful and intimate as those mm-hmm. offline. Uh huh. Yeah, Courtney's like uh huh. Well, no, it's true. Yeah, I think the thing is, I think that's one of those areas where. To try and reduce either one down to an either or is just really reductive of the kinds of people that exist. I think that it's possible that for some people, online relationships will never be as important. And for other people, online relationships are possibly the only important relationships that they have. True. I just think it's it's a weird thing that everyone's so obsessed with whether or not it's more or less. I'm like, I think it's probably just on a case by case basis and it's cool. You know, you can yeah. let it alone. It's, well, I, I, you, you just but also it. you bridge them back and forth, don't you? you right. <laughs> you can sorry, the interesting thing sorry. The interesting thing that's new is that you know we've we've always had the possibility of having a disconnected relationship with people we've met through sending them letters and, and phone calls and things, mm-hmm. um, and that that moves online with, with emails and, and Skype and whatever. Um, but what's new is that you can start a, start a connection with someone that is purely online, textual, isn't or, or you know playing a game together, doing some kind of shared interaction with a very thin modality. Um, make the connection there and then meet them in real life. And that's, that's the thing that we, we, we were talking about this before I was calling it the, the blog horror effect, which is right. um, when you suddenly bring people together who've been corresponding online for a long time, the amount of energy that's released um, is, is, is amazing when, when, you, when you see them interacting. I don't know. I, I might want to push back on that, though, because, I mean, I grew up with a pen pal um, that I got through school. And okay. I mean, I, yeah. I understand that that's not a a widespread thing, but you know, it was somebody who lived like a few States away and we wrote back and forth for years and then finally met in person. Uh, <laughs> I would actually think that what's weird now or what's new now is at least for me is people being aware of me that I'm not aware of or vice versa. Like, oh yes. That's and and yep. then meeting them in person. Um, that is yes, that's the weird one for me too. I have to rattling thing where it's like I this is a uh, new yeah, form okay. of social interaction that I don't think it's possible to have. Like usually it's it's sort of that the difference between like Facebook and Twitter. Like Facebook, you have to have a mutual awareness of each other uh, in order to stay in contact. Whereas like on Twitter, I mean, I I have. Yes. 10 times more followers than people I follow. I have no idea how people can manage to keep up with yeah. like hundreds and thousands of people on their Twitter list, but I can't. Yeah. Uh, they don't. And 
so I have people like come up to me because I'm fairly easily identified. I have pink hair. And so they're like, oh, are you, know, are you Kirby Bits? Are you Courtney? It's like, oh, I, I read you on Twitter. And so it's like, okay, you now know way more about me than I do about you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's sort of, yeah. uh, you know, that the, the the fact that everyone can, can be famous within their sort of cohort in a way, or, or maybe it's outside your cohort. But that I, I've always figured, well, that's probably the equivalent of – you know, what celebrities go through, like someone saying hello to you that you don't know, you know, or I've had the other weird thing is that I've had people come up to me and say, and think that we know each other and then realize that we don't, they just recognize me from yeah, my photo online. So yeah, it's that disproportionate sort of, yes. um, and I think you're right. I think that is really sort of the, the, the weird reverse power thing. I, I think we're also living through a time where I'm, I'm personally obsessed with this at the moment, a, a time of like, everyone is so uncomfortable sort of with a lot of these new social rules, mores, co- contracts, ethics, etc. cetera, that, 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 that they're retreating to this binary, like you said, this reductive binary. It's either good or bad. Right. And, you know, and by the way, you know, I'm the kind of person that thinks that online relationships can be as equal, but, you know, some of mine are really not connected and some are. It depends on the person. Like you said, it's on a one-to-one basis. It's not, it's not about the, the tool, you know? Right. Well, if you, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. (laughs) Well, because if you, you know, I feel like when people argue for sort of a regressive or sort of argue against the new, when it comes to sort of social interaction, I tend to wonder, like, if you roll that back far enough, you end up living in very small tribes, you know, in, you know, in very spread out places. Like, it just doesn't function. I mean, the fact that we live in cities is unnatural and not normal. The further back you go, it's like, where does that stop? So I just... It was you and your immediate... Yeah, yeah, like your 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 <laughs> your clan, you know, and that's right. it. And so, it to me, it just seems like uh, actually, if anything, like a reforming of like sort of clan dynamic and uh, at least clans of thought, and being able to reach people who you know are in your cohort that aren't necessarily location based. Uh, I mean, totally. I I say that as someone who's benefited a lot from having you know not yes. location based relationships and stuff. So, I, to me, it just it seems to be coming from a place of like personal experience being overgeneralized and deciding that it must be bad for everyone because you had one crappy online relationship on OkCupid or something. So. Right. Or great, by the way. Or the other extreme. Yeah, like, that's true. Like that we talk about here all the time, like privacy is dead. But what? Like said who? Who made that statement? Where'd that come from? Well, I'm going to keep going because I want to get into our stories, but I wanted to bring in the chat room a little. I love Kevin. Yes, Kevin quoted David uh, Weinberger's quote is everyone is famous to 15 people. Yeah. I've kind of, I've kind of, uh, I've stolen that one, and I've said that everyone's famous for, you know, for fifteen clicks of fame, <laughs> fifteen hmm. or fifteen links of fame, you know, instead of like, you know, it's like, it's like even less than fifteen people today. I think, you know, it's going to go further and further down, and uh, you know, it's just, it's just a little nuts. And you know, on on the note of sort of the publishing side of things, like that one to many, you know, I uh, USA Today came out with. Um, an announcement today, that today or yesterday, where they said that they are now going to start giving a bonus to their reporters based on click-through rates and oh, reads. Yeah. yeah, and I read that and I was like, "Oh my God, this this is your solution." To uh, it's like this is such an anti tumult. It's like instead of making your content quality speak for itself, you are now going to turn every single one of your reporters into um, you know the equivalent of the media breaking news junkies, <laughs> right? I mean, I don't know what the equivalent is, right, Kev? I mean, <laughs> Courtney, like, what's your reaction to that? It made me really ill. <laughs> it's just, it's funny because. Um, the game industry is dealing with something similar where people sort of uh, at an executive level misinterpret or misunderstand what metrics can do. Right. And then they put the cart before the horse and are like, okay, well now we're going to have the numbers drive all of our design decisions. We're going to have the numbers drive all of our editorial decisions instead of trying to figure out which content, you know, and like which qualities got you high traffic. It's just, it, it yeah. gets very reductive. <laughs> I know, and that's the point. But it's it like happens. It, like it's been happening in a lot of places. Like the basically every 
person who spent like three months screwing around with HTML back in the nineties and figuring out ways to, you know, implement like what, you know, like any, any, I basically cats off to all of my friends who spent all their time noodling on their own websites and figuring out ways to like drive traffic via page layout and white space use and all that stuff. Because now (laughs) every single industry is paying through the nose to get these people to come in and do search engine optimization (laughs) and like site redesign. And then like, and now they're taking, but see, that's the kind of stuff where it's like, yeah, you're, you're, you know, you're sort of the medium that you're delivering this on can be tweaked and adjusted in certain pleasing ways for your, the person landing on your page. But then they just take that and they're like, well, let's apply that to the writing too. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. So that, well, that was, yeah. that, that reminded me of another article um, that I read today, which I'm trying to just get the link for, which was um, Google saves the news at Forbes, which was, which was fascinating um, because what they were what they were saying there, and it was it was a ridiculously written piece in some ways, um, but it, for the first um, time, they were, they were, basically the, the thesis is that by changing the search engine, Google is now rewarding proper journalism rather than spammers um, because they've they've tweaked the algorithm to to prefer original content and you know that that, that last update that they did. Um, but the interesting thing for me was it, it's the first time that I've seen. Matt Cutts and others from Google admit that there, there actually is an editorial role in the algorithm, which, you know, is, is obviously there's an editorial role in the algorithm. But right. so far, they've sort of hidden behind that. Well, they've oh, had to come the, out a couple yeah. of times. Like when you if you notice, like for certain search strings, um, <laughs> excuse me, um, if you have like like Congress as the lead thing, then, you know, congressman will populate, but congresswoman won't. You know, there's certain um like race or gender related search strings, depending on what the news is, where it it can look horrible. And, but then, you know, 30 seconds later, 45 seconds later, suddenly the, like the search results are sort of rebalanced um, to, to return more even results. Like they definitely do have editorial markers where they'll, you know, sort of blank out like man, woman as terminals and blank out certain other things like that to sort of avoid the perception of bias. Oh, interesting. Right. Well, you know, you, you, you are what you measure. <laughs> That's the other thing, <laughs> for better or worse. That's what does worry me about some of the tweaking stuff. It's just interesting that, that this, this again, it's, it's just in a, in, a, in a time where we're really uncomfortable because there's no exact answers to stuff. People want that uncomfortableness sort of leads people to want simpler solutions, right? Because you're overwhelmed, right? What do you mean there's not one way to do it? Or what do you mean, right? Right. So, little, so that's probably part of the measuring of the game stuff as well, right? Oh, well, that, yeah. Because well, the, the game stuff is like, oh, well, people like, it, it's it's basically, it's like the sequel thing. Like, you know, Jaws 2 had 80% more of the shark than Jaws 1. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because did it? people like the did shark, really? right? So you want a whole movie of the shark, but it did terribly because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lack of seeing that the balance is what's required in order for people to derive pleasure from different things. Yes. But, and we want but, formulas. But also with gaming, and to some extent, you know, with, with storytelling, we were talking about this a bit in the pre-show about science fiction and the people making their own sort of narrative from it. But with gaming, that's even more true, isn't it? That, that the games that, that people end up loving are the ones where you, you actually construct something yourself, with, where you, you build something yourself in the game. You're not running on rails. And what, what's possible is discovered by the players as much as the authors. It depends. Um, I'm always very hesitant to comment on, like, what types of games people in general like just because the audience of of games is exploding so much. And yet uh, I think most people who play games don't think of themselves as players of games. They, I think they think of themselves as Facebook users or iPhone Ah, or Mm -hmm. what have you, whereas that is, that is absolutely, but it it is night and day, the kinds of people who use these devices or the kinds of uses that they're put to is actually what I want to say. And so it's hard to be like, because I mean, I like at um, Subatomic, it's really funny because our uh, lead engineer and I will we'll talk about it. Like I'm in the middle of playing um, a very heavy narrative, very uh, decision tree, like, you know, character building, like, you know, the choices you make early in the game play out in the way the game ends, you know, that kind of thing. I love it. I'm I'm obsessed with it right now. And, you know, he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't like any of that. He's like, I like, I like tactics games, like, which is why, you know, like they're <laughs> field runners. And so, you know, it's, and I like tactics games too, but for different times and different uses, um, 
you know, when I'm when I'm stuck on the subway and they say there's going to be like an unspecified delay, it is really nice to be able to whip out my phone and be like, I'm just going to play through a level of this right? <laughs> and stay right. distracted. So, you know, there's different uses for that. I think that there's definitely a um, unprecedented opportunity for interactive storytelling and for creating at least the sense that, of that collaborative experience and that sort of immersive, mm. uh, interactive, choice-driven narrative uh, construct in video game play that you, I mean, you can't do that with a novel. Like Jane Eyre is going to pretty much go the same way every time I read it. So it does. Yeah. <laughs> Unless, well, it's, it's sort of like the only thing you can do is if they do like a really new translation, point. like if somebody someday, someone, uh, a finally, new movie, a new yeah, movie. like well, yeah, if someone finally retranslates, yeah. um, like Simone de Beauvoir's the second sex and puts back in like the 60 pages of lesbianism that got cut out. Oh really? Oh that, yeah. That, yes. Yeah, I didn't know this. Oh yeah, in another life, that was going to be my like grad school dissertation was retranslate that thing because they did it back in the fifties and sure they oh, cut oh, everything. Right. Um, and so you know that would be a very different book and that's a very different experience. But that's only interactive for the translator. So right, right, it's right, different right, right. when it's like you're basically doing that every time with a with a game, depending on how it's scoped. Yeah, it's really interesting because I've never thought of comparing. That, that's just a really interesting way of looking at sort of the narrative of a book versus the 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 pull for a game. That I, I really we're going to talk more about that. I'm going to bring up one other article and then we're going to sort of go deeper here. Um, well, I, I wanted to pick up um, that the yep. Tony's point, which is he says you oh, won't be the same Jack. person when you read it, and that was you know t- talking uh, back about uh-huh. um, uh, Joe Walton. Um, going back and rereading books. And one of the things she says is, um, I read, you know, she reads this book um, that she enjoyed when um, she was a child and it's been visited by the sexism fairy since or the suck fairy. Um, and, <laughs> and, and, and all the nice bits that she remembers are kind of still there, but there's this other stuff that's overlaid that she that had been edited out in her memory. Yep. Yeah. Well, here's, I have a very concrete example about that. I was the reader in my family and I have older siblings some of them are much older. And so um, I remember picking up Animal Farm and, um, f- and, and quite able to read it in fifth grade. I mean, it's not complex reading. And I, li- I read it literally. I thought it was a great story about animals. Totally missed any of the political nuance of it, right? And then you go back and read it later and, wow, it really totally blows your mind so sort of the opposite of like reading a fairy tale as a kid and then reading it as an adult i read it in a backwards order <laughs> and i was like wow i just thought it was a farm <laughs> it's really funny so you're right tony you are not the same person and we'll have to look at the suck fairy so i want to um <laughs> so i wanted to bring in a piece that I, i'm i will have to admit that i sort of just scanned but i thought when kevin told me about the empathy piece i thought it would be really interesting to talk about and that is there was a piece that uh, um, John Hagel tweeted about this week, and it's basically called 100 Things You Should Know About. Um, it's about dopamine, and, and it's sort of a new take on, uh, on 100 Things You Should Know About about people. Number eight, dopamine makes you addicted to seeking information. She's obviously doing a theory, uh, a whole um a whole series. And I thought it was really interesting because we always thought the dopamine is the pleasure thing, but actually dopamine, it doesn't control the pleasure systems. It controls the sort of seeking behavior, the anticipation, right? So the dopamine kicks in when you're anticipating something, that's the pleasure, not on the, on the actual having the pleasure. And it keeps us motivated to, to work, to look, to survive, to do lots of things. And it's like, the wanting versus the liking. It, we always thought it was about the liking, but it's really about the wanting. And how that, how are we impacted in our behavior is different in this sort of very instant gratification world. And if you think about it, um, you know, with tweets being instant and texting and sort of the different, the, but more dopamine in your system if you did have to wait for that letter from your pen pal or didn't you? So it, it's, it, it's really interesting. They're sort of reevaluating what, when dopamine kicks in. I thought that was kind of cool. Any thoughts on that, folks? I <laughs> stun you into silence. The article at the same time. You're all, you're all reading the article <laughs> at the same time and the yes. chat room and everybody else. So it, it was just interesting. It's just an interesting. We'll put the link up in the room. But um, It is fascinating. I, 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 um, I put up a, an article that Sue Charman wrote in 2009 about this, which was the same thing. The dopamine makes us want to seek out more. Um, right. I think that does, you know, it, it, that plays back into the the 
wire games fun were part of the wire games fun conversation uh, from earlier as well is that is is there a there's there's there is this uh, the thing, one of the things that draws you back in is this sense of exploration and, and saying, "Have I, have I, have I, you know, explored this space properly yet?" And a lot of the, a lot of the, um, the solo games, at least, um, are um, successful be- because they create a space that you're exploring, you know, a, pu- a puzzle space, and they're leading you through exploring that in more detail over time. Right. Exactly. So I just thought it was it was a good thing to. Um, focus in on, you know, while we're thinking of all the good things about instant gratification, there is something, and we talked about that in the pre-show too, the difference between sort of watching an entire series of, of, a, of a TV show all at once versus the <laughs> weekly anticipation of, and the, the mass, massinating around the story for a week. So I, I think it's an interesting piece and we'll put it up on the, in the, on our show notes and just think about all the dopamine that we're using when we connect with people, be it online, offline, or anticipate meeting those. And I think if we paid a little bit more attention to that, we'd have, a, you know, an interesting, um, uh, a little interesting way of looking at how to connect people online. If we sort of looked a little bit more in- deeply at the science, it would be interesting to sort of connect the dopamine and have people sort of hooked up to nerve endings when they're posting anonymously, you know, um, troll-like comments versus other comments. <laughs> I thought that would be kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> we got a funny look at that. If only. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly, exactly. So... Um, <laughs> It's just crazy. Crazy. One one quick other piece I wanted to tell people about, and we should probably talk about another time, is that um, this is kind of cool. Ben Folds, Damien Kulash, Amanda Palmer, and the writer Neil Gelman are putting together something called Rethink Music. Um, and on April Monday, April 25th, they're going to write and record eight songs in eight hours and release them ten hours later. Isn't that cool? Mm. It's sort of like a la Radiohead. I just, I just thought it sounded really cool, and I'd be really interested to follow that. And maybe we could, oh, if we had connections, we could get one of them on. But it would be really interesting to see how they tumble the musicians and how, and how, and if they're doing it live, if they're involving the room at all, like online. You know, that would be kind of cool to see if they're doing anything around that, wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh well, well, you know, Amanda Palmer is is a master of of the tumbling the. Um, the audience. So the, exactly. Look, to some degree, yeah. Um, I am okay. not the biggest fan of her anymore. Oh, because of, uh, well, just there was the incident where she was promoting one of her last side projects, and there were some issues where some of her fan base was not that into, uh, you know, the, the way it was being promoted, specifically because it was sort of, uh, yeah, uh, pretty stereotypically like ableist. sort of narrative and she didn't handle that in a way that i found made me want to give her money anymore Um, well basically when she then went on tour for the the side project and then started using like the experience as a punchline and like using like these groups of people as like a laugh line in interviews Mm. and complaining about all these mean disabled feminists who you know what miserable people they must be and stuff like that and i was just like oh really yeah that's that's not very graceful (laughs) yeah criticism so and again it's one of those things where i'm like it really rattled me because she is usually so elegant at handling like twitter fan feedback and like massive waves of like you know response from fans but that was definitely one of those things where it's like she was getting a response she hadn't anticipated and it seemed to be coming across as like well then you must not understand me or be a fan and i was like okay i guess i'm not a Ooh. fan Ooh. <laughs> so it's, it's like, and she does a lot of cool stuff i still like her music it's just one of those things where like as a social right. networky thing it was a huge faux pas in a way that oh. was really like it 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 also said she has a lot of very um, vehement fans who did a lot of really not cool things in her name um, to like people that had spoken up, not me, but other people, and you know, tr- you know doing like all kinds of horrible waves of you know the kind of shit I put up right. with, uh, and you know it's the kind of thing where it's like right. yeah, if you're already living with like 
um, you know, like a, a like a physical like a disability, and you're already like dealing with a lot of crap. Like the last thing you need is one of your favorite artists like sticking their fan base on you. So, yeah, yeah. that's a yeah. yeah. I agree. That's a really well uh, and and an odd but oh, and getting segue. asked to define what ableist means. That would be something ah. that is discriminating against uh, people with disabilities. So ableism is it's like sexism, racism. Um, it's the idea that uh, one of the more common things is like ableist language. You'll hear people say like retard and lame and stuff like that. And that's mm-hmm. generally considered not cool <laughs> um, in circles. Wow. Like, you know what? Yeah. I consider myself pretty sensitive and I've never connected the dots on the word lame. It's one of those ones where I'm right. I, Isn't that amazing? I from people wow. that it's offensive. And so I believe them, you know, cause I don't think you would right. do something like that. Up. I, um, so I'm like, okay. Like I don't like, even if I personally, I'm like, I would never I would expect that with like, old historical novels where they talk about horses, you know, more than anything else. But yeah, me too. Well, that's the funny thing. Well, the funny thing is I'm, I, I do horseback ride and I do use the word lame in connection to a horse and I yeah. use the word lame in connection to a lame idea, mm-hmm. but I never connected how it could be offensive to a person who might be disabled, which is really, um, just shows you that you only look through the world through your own language and lens. Oh yeah, unless and someone points it out to you, right? And and so huh. it's, you know, it's just one of those things where I was like, okay, that it, it just you know, again, it's like I say stupid. It's not stupid. It it just it, is. No, 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 I say stupid to stuff it. all the time. Like I say stuff that then my friends have to be like, I think we need to talk about that, you know. And it's like, okay, so you can choose to have the conversation or not, but at the risk of maybe never talking to that person again. And that's a risk you take and that's fine. Um, right. Which I guess I would but, say to Zeno is that, yeah, like if you stop using all the language that someone finds offensive, I think you would probably still have plenty of language left to talk to that person. Um, or you could not talk to that person or that entire group of people. And that's your call. But it's and, I think, the, the, awareness of what that decision is, as opposed to saying like, well, you're just being really PC and I don't have to listen to you ever again because you're being PC right now. When really it's like, no, you're trying to express, you know, and like offensive or oppressive thing that's happening to you <laughs> and the other person's choosing to listen to it or not. So, but, but yeah, but focusing on the language, as, as he says, focusing on the language, isn't the right answer because um, right. if you try and replace the word that is inoffensive with another word, that word then becomes the offensive word. Um, so, um, you know, so in, in, because ret- retard was banned and you talked about special needs, then the playground insult is, oh, you're really special. It, 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 yeah, exactly. Um, Zeno is, is, is seen this just before I say it. It's wonderful. Um, right, so I agree the, with the, both the, of you on that. The, the challenge is, to, is, is not to, to focus on the language, it's to focus on, oh, I've upset someone, I need to, to, to fix that. And I think that that... Exactly. that yeah. <laughs> Um, that's the point because I think what ends up happening, Kevin, and that's a really good point. I think that's what Zeno is coming on is that I might be able to use the word. Like, I don't think if you use stupid language, Courtney, if you didn't know that the word had offense, it wasn't stupid. Right. Or if you used it in a different context, the minute you were alerted to the, it it would hurt someone. That's a different thing. But also if we we tend to focus on the word as opposed to the feelings behind the word, right. Because, you know, there goes back, we're going back to the empathy meter. Right. So, Uh, and I think it, it is sort of getting like sometimes the word might not even matter as long as you're coming. Well, I at think it the that. word doesn't matter maybe to you. I think it matters to the person who's yeah. speaking up about it. Um, right. Well, I do think that yeah. language does matter. Um, yes, I do think agreed. that they do. It does convey ideas. The idea yes. I think is that you're being informed that oh, there's another meaning here. Maybe you weren't yes. aware it was associated with this, and it's like whether you're willing to be open and listen to that or not. Right. Uh, and that's. That was my point. I guess it depends yeah. on the uh, the, the word. Uh, my point was how much the word is in. I mean, we picked a word like lame, right? Yeah. And it depends how much the word has a, a very accepted second meaning. But yeah. even if it does, if I'm talking to someone and they're offended by it, I change it. You know, yeah, exactly. What, like, and again, it's, a, it's back to that like per, it's like it's right. a connection by connection basis. Mm-hmm. Rather than yeah. just being like, well, no one's never, ever allowed to use anything. It's like when people try and tell me, like, so do you think that, like, no one should ever be able to include rape in, like, anything ever? And I'm like, no, I think that it's a topic that actually merits probably more respectful discussion yes. than it's gotten. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I think it's more about being aware of what you're doing with it and not this, like, blind fumbling through somebody else's life experience and acting like that's totally fine and not something you should maybe be considerate about. So, 
<laughs> totally. And by the way, Tony, just I missed I missed in the past that someone that Tony was saying fracking a. <laughs> joking about, uh, just kind of, I, my chat room cracks me up. So I'm going to. So I, I want to tell our chat room and our guest Courtney that poor Heather is having lots of technical trouble. So that's why she is trying. She's you know you know what it's like to be desperately somewhere and trying to get in and you can't get in, and you can see the door. You know people on the other side of the glass. I, that's probably what she's feeling right now. I've been there. You know stuck in an airport or somewhere. I've got to get on. And I can't. So let's all sort of have a digital awe for Heather as she tries to get on. But while she's trying to do that and Andrew's trying to connect her, I wanted to dive in deeply, Courtney, with, uh, you know, what Heather briefed me on, sort of your um, brilliance in tumbling um, and sort of what you went through. And I need to apologize in advance because I didn't know enough of the story. So I wanted, so my understanding is, so you sort of turned around the haters into understanding your point of view on something and what you had to deal with. And so do you want to give us a little background on what that was? Um, sure. So this is one of those things where you, you, someone was mentioning like micro celebrity earlier. This is totally one of those sub communities of a sub community kind of things. Um, so I work in the video game industry and there's a rather large fan base that's pretty connected. Like there's very little power distance in the video game industry between fans and creators because we all know how to use the internet. Uh, So given that there's a web comic that has called Penny Arcade that has grown Mm -hmm. very famous, um, over the last 13 years, uh, generally, and they generally talk about sort of video games and sometimes specifically go after games and companies. Um, Oop, we and, might be getting Heather. Uh, and yeah, I think we are getting Heather. And so uh, they had, a, and I was a big fan of theirs uh, for a long time, for about eight years. And they did a comic uh, last year where the the overall sort of joke uh, was about... Oh, you've well, reached Heather Bold. Welcome to our television show. Okay, well, you keep trying offline first, Andrew. Why don't we do it that way? Um, so, so, yes, so Penny Arcade... Keep going. Penny Arcade did a comic, um, and while the overall joke was about World of Warcraft and, like, MMO quests, um, the example of, like, sort of the horrible situation that they used and the the punchline, like, the laugh line of the joke, um, as is common, semi-common in their strips, it fell in the second panel, uh, which was was about this character getting raped every night. And... A lot of people thought that that was totally cool. Some people didn't. Um, oh, yeah, Kevin linked to that phenomenal Tumblr. I have no idea who runs that thing, but God bless them. Um, I can't imagine the like the ration of shit they've had to deal with, but uh, I'm really glad that's there because it's been very useful to just be like, here, here's what's yeah. going on. <laughs> it's history, yeah. Um, but is, it, so, is it worth looking for the comic, or is that, does that help, or is that make it, is that not? Hmm? Does, should we look should for I the link, comic as well? Should I link the comic too? Or is, is well, I mean, just, the comic's linked great. in the timeline. I think they've got yeah, a true, screen cap of it and everything. Um, they uh, And so some fans complained. Um, I know at least one, like, sort of feminist blog did a post about sort of why that was kind of problematic and was just basically thrown on the giant pile of examples of ways in which, uh, you know, our culture normalizes rape and in mm-hmm. this case in particular presents it as something that's like sort of fantastical and to be laughed at. And I wouldn't consider it like the worst rape joke I've ever seen. I, I don't like, I know many people who are like, it's not even a rape joke. And I'm like, no, I understand that like the message of the comic strip wasn't about that, but the thing you're laughing at is the rape of a person. Right. So, Exactly. You know, uh, and but you know, generally, I, I'm given to understand that they get complaints about literally every single comic that they do. I'm sure, I'm sure. Um, you're defending like, someone, right? Yeah, they have over three million readers on a daily basis, so uh, I get it that you know they get complaints. So they get some complaints, um, some from fans, like readers who like emailed them directly, some from people on a more public space and they chose rather than to ignore it. Like they ignore every other complaint they get about (laughs) their comics to do a response comic. Um, that was pretty shitty and 
set up a bunch of straw man arguments about what people must be complaining about and, you know, absolving themselves of how, well, they're not making rapists. And so, you know, therefore, like, you and know, it got pretty heated. I well, mean, I'm watching the, the I'm watching the Twitter stream guys. here. I'm watching the Twitter stream here where someone obviously called uh, the the term "dick wolf" was yeah, that was thrown that, around. Yeah, the, God, that term. Um, yeah, I'm sure it brings you back to PTSD land. Yeah, right. Like word, and yeah, it's like I, I if I never hear it again. It yeah, will, sorry to say it out um, loud. So that's those are the creatures that rape this dude every night. Uh, right. Which then devolved into like a consent 101 workshop every day of my life, explaining Ugh. to people how it doesn't matter what you're being raped with if you're if you are capable of providing consent and you're having sex without your consent, that's rape. Um, and uh, and so there's this whole thing, and then they started merchandising this yes by making a sports team shirt with this like as if the dick wolves are their mascot um which brought in a whole other layer of like the real life domestic abuse rape and sexual assault that actual sports players get charged with yes right brings in a whole other layer right it just it was sort of like an insensitivity showdown where i was just like what are they gonna do next um how did i miss all this wow this is like this is intense stuff so so uh, did you end up sort of just being in the center of all this and like so uh, you know tweeting back and forth to people and what happened is that i um so they i eventually like i made a protest shirt and then they they run this giant convention called PAX, and it takes place twice a year, um, once in Seattle and then once in Boston. And the one in Boston was coming up, and so everybody's sort of booking, like, panels. I got invited for a panel. I said no, uh, and I explained to the person who invited me that I didn't feel that that was a particularly professional environment where, like, they're going to be selling this, like, merchandise with, like, a rape joke all over. <laughs> you know, like, it just didn't yeah. seem... Uh, like a good workspace for me to go and like promote myself, my company and my industry. And I understand it's a good fan promo outreach event. I think, you know, if we had a game like coming out and we wanted to rent a booth and I could talk to, you know, like that's, you know, that's a different thing. Cause it's like a, it's like an expo. It's sort of a, it's like a consumer expo. So I was just like, well, if it's a workspace thing for me, no, I'm not going to just sort of wander in there because I don't think that's going to be like, I don't feel that that's a particularly safe environment. Like a bunch of uh-huh. people that that kind of shit is funny. Like that's not people I really want to like voluntarily hang out with. So no, uh-huh. I'll pass. And then I kept having to have that conversation. So I had a, I made a blog post about it. And uh. then two days later, uh, for completely different reasons, and I, I keep saying this, and I understand that people don't want to believe me, but seriously, like people way more important than me were pissed off about this stuff and were talking to them directly and got them to take the shirt down. Uh, so two days later, they pull the shirt. I mentioned on Twitter that the shirt was gone, and so therefore their fan base decided it was because of me. Ah, <laughs> like I, I was wondering how that left to do with it, um, and yet, so that's what kicked all that off. So this is one of those instances where I, I'm now in like in a very personal way horrified at the way information disseminates on the internet and sure. is considered fact because right. it's not like I've just because they would see it and I'm like, why are these people saying these things? I had absolutely nothing to do with this. Like I just said that the shirt was gone and I thanked the guys for taking it down. And then pounce because I, because I happened to write a blog post like two days before saying that I had chosen not to speak at their conference or their convention because right. of this. Right. Therefore, that must have been the reason, even though neither of those guys knew who the hell I am, you know, like it, whole thing. Right. And so then that kicked off the weirdest month of my life where oh. my blog traffic went through the roof and I got a bunch of death threats and people calling um, my local police department trying to get details about my rape and all kinds of shit. Wow. <laughs> so it's weirder now actually to look back on because when it's happening at the time, it's just like, oh yeah, I'm going to get up and I'm going to have 300 new emails and people are going to tell me once again that I shouldn't go on 4chan because once again, 4chan is organizing like threads on how to find out where I live, you know, just like random shit and it's just you know that was the way it was for a few weeks and then it kind of finally died down but to this day i still get random people every once in a while on twitter or whatever who just send me like horrible 
shit, and I just block them. And and while you're living through all this, I mean, you know, Heather had pointed out to me that was there was there a period where you like how did you react to all this? Were you um, able to sort of deflect some of these arguments? I mean, bring people around to sort of get your point of view, or did it just keep going sort of the snowball downhill? Oh, you know, no, but, but, I, I feel like I had some really, really fantastic conversations with people. Uh, actually, can you tell us some of them? Like what yeah. came out of some of this? Because I think what's different about your experience and what we wanted to dig into here is because there's, you know, the Kathy Sierra. There's a lot there. Unfortunately, are many incidents online where this, you know, uh, where things can get personal and ugly and go downhill. And then sometimes it just shuts off. Like so the person on the receiving end will be like, OK, this is too much. I'm getting I mean, I'm getting off the net, I'm, I'm, I, which is probably would be my reaction. I'm going to disappear and I can't, you know, have this conversation. But my understanding is that you really had some interesting conversations. Yeah. And connections uh, out of this, which is unusual and rare with this kind of trolling. So I'd love to hear about some of that. Well, the the way I sort of approach this stuff is like I have learned so much on the Internet about other people. Um, And like when we're looking at that, the empathy article, I actually agree Mm -hmm. with the review that's kind of critical. I think that the... um, the idea, I, I get the idea that like empathy would be a good way to articulate sort of evilness or evil behavior, but I do think that it can be learned. Um, I know I've learned a lot of it. Like you, you learn yes. to to give a shit about people who aren't you, and then you just keep doing that and seeing um, sort of. There, I think there's a lot of really kind of assumptive ideas or intellectually lazy or or however you want to put it. We're just, you know, you have these cultural constructs that you don't realize you believe until you're confronted with them in some way. And you find yourself saying these really dumb things where it's like, well, yeah, but I mean, like everybody knows that blah, you know, and whatever that end of that sentence is, like whatever you think everybody knows, just throw that out. And so I thought that trying to, you know, just ignore the sort of personal attacks, like I, I'm a producer. I deal in like high stress environments and stuff. So like, I don't get really rattled, especially online. Like if I had a problem with something, I would go have a glass of water and like, I don't Take know, break. talk to my boyfriend for a minute, you know, <laughs> and then like be like, and think about what I wanted to say, you know, it's much easier when it's written. And so be able to sort of look at what they're saying, kind of just mentally delete all the insults. And, um, it, you know, if there was some sort of kernel in there of like, you know, they're arguing from a perspective that I could understand and thought I could challenge in some way, then I would just address that part and ignore everything else. And, and if you do that enough times, I mean, sometimes people, you just kind of have to walk away and I would just stop commenting. Uh, but often I found that, you know, people would honestly, I think they're, they're, agitated because they're very confused because I was presenting something that they hadn't encountered before. And so they were just doing that, that that's sort of exercising the dumb cultural sludge. Right. It's easier. forming right. their own opinion. And so I was just like the first couple rounds of comments are usually just backwash of like stuff. And it's stuff I used to Can think. you give us some examples um, to, to make it sort of concretize? Like yeah, what is one of, out of like, the whole thing, what is like one sort of encounter for want of a better word with someone who was like you know you dumb bitch you know uh, (laughs) you know uh, we're just making we're just making jokes blah 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 you don't get it get off your feminist whatever and then you were able to sort of actually connect with them like there was one guy early on who was like you're being ridiculous because obviously i mean you're in a huge room of people so obviously you should feel safe and there is like like any man wouldn't stop it if some other guy was attacking you and so i had to be like okay here's some details about my actual rape where it was in public and dudes walked by and didn't do shit so seriously you need to step off because i already know that that kind of thing can happen and i understand this is really academic to you but it's my life so Please, and, you know, and he was like, you're right. Like, I was just looking at it as this, like, hypothetical thing. And I forget that, like, this is something that actually happens to people, even though I don't like to think that it happens to people. You get a lot of that, that sort of, like, noble ignorance of, like, well, but I'm a nice person. And so I want to believe that, like, all my friends are nice people. And then you hit, right. you know, that threshold of people you can possibly be aware of, which isn't that big. It's, like, 300 people. So if you haven't encountered someone who's, like, 
a convicted sex offender, you know, in those 300 people, then it's really easy to be like, well, that doesn't happen that often. I mean, one in six women being Mm. sexually assaulted in their lifetimes, that's a really high number. That makes me uncomfortable. I'm going to decide that that's wrong rather than look at my cohorts and be like, which of you have sexually assaulted someone? Because it's not like it's one person doing all, you know, who's really busy. Right, um, right, right. right. But, but I give I give the guy credit for sort of stepping down. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, although, I, was, I guess I was there's surprised. not much. I thought he was going to just, like, flounce. I, I was not expecting him to listen. Um, he just pissed oh. me off, basically. Right. And did most of these things happen back and forth on Twitter? Yeah. I said, I mean, I had a lot. Of, I mean, I had over comments, comments but... Um, the blog comments were good. I think the issue is with uh, the longer you can write about your opinion, the easier it is to get really entrenched in it. Oh, and that's yes. a really interesting observation. And Pause we're to think about that, everyone. Especially if you're one. in the weeds and you're talking yes. about something that's – And so many, so many commenters would be like, I'm new to this and I'm not really familiar with what's going on and I don't really know any of this. But here's my opinion. Uh, <laughs> they, <laughs> they would watch that one. It. And it's like, okay, got it. Thanks okay. for your uninformed opinion. Um, whereas on Twitter, one, all you can, re- I mean, you can only cuss me out so much in 140 characters. And I've seen every variation of it. Like, you can only wish death on me and rape on me so many times when it's that short. So if you actually want to say anything to me, if you actually are trying to tell me something, you have to think really hard about how to reduce what you're trying to say into such a short space that you end up coming up with, you know, a slightly better version of cultural sludge and backwash um, or a, you know, a really concise viewpoint that I need to consider, which I come across several times, you know, people saying, Hey, you're saying this thing and it's coming across to me in this way that like means this other thing. And so I'm upset right. about that. And then we'd talk about that and I would sort of realize like they're upset and they're upset because I'm not communicating effectively. And then I'd go either edit my blog or apologize to them directly or both and mm. move on and say, sorry, a lot. <laughs> um, right. that, help, that happened multiple times. That happens to me in life a lot uh, because I, I don't <laughs> really care about being right. <laughs> um, so I tend to be wrong often. Um, so yeah, that, uh, the Twitter thing was really cool because also I had a lot of people, uh, comment at me who were following the person I was having the conversation with and me and saying like, this is really great because we would just go back and forth for like a day or two days, you know, or three days, Mm -hmm. like however long it took to kind of just keep, you know, and then sometimes like weirdly enough, once you start paying attention to rape culture, it kind of shows up a lot. And so things would happen in the media and they'd like link me and be like, well, you know, based on what we were talking about last week, there's this article now. And what do you think? You know, it just be this sort of extended discussion. And you, you know, you arrive, I think again, like the longer you ping back and forth with somebody, the more entrenched you get into talking to them and listening to them. And so in a good way. Yeah. And so as opposed to in the, in the polar opposite of the, sort of writing your comp, you know, your comment on a blog post in isolation in like sort of emotional isolation. You're not doing like screeds back and forth at each other about how wrong you are. Instead, you're, you're, you're able to correct any misstatements in real time or closer to real time, which is also much easier because I could be like, Oh no, wait, wait, when you're saying this thing, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. I'm sorry. Back up, back up. You know? And then we, you know, so you, Uh you avoid the, what would have been three angry paragraphs and instead you just get to move on with the actual discussion. Uh, and that was also really rewarding. It also, you know, I think people benefit from getting to see this kind of stuff hashed out because it helps them. It's like a template of thinking. And so it's like, well, do I like this idea? Or do I like that idea? Or do I like something in between? Do I disagree with both of you? You know, you get a lot more uh, input. And I think that's, you could- call it a template of thinking. Yeah. That's like cool. Critical yeah. thought, basically. Yes, so yes, yes, yes. Two sides of an idea, you know. Yeah. So, in in, in an odd way, I mean, it it's it can be the best of sort of the public back and forth discourse because it's real time and it's short. I think those two things together, yeah, work. Because if it was real time, I mean, you know, you could argue a blog post could be real time, but there's something about that nature. It, it would probably work just as well in chat, except it wouldn't be public, right? So it's that same concept. It's about yeah. as close as you can, maybe, maybe even safer in a way than um, doing it face to face. 
you know, it'd be interesting to think about the sort of back and forth debate happening if you're both in the same room. It might be too scary. Well, yeah. it can get tough because, again, yeah. when somebody's getting very, like, analytical or, you know, actually, like, um, when Myers is talking about how, like, like, in the comments right now about how, like, well, the net is supposed to be just anything goes. And so that's better than, like, you know, somebody feeling safe. Uh, you know, I disagree with that. Uh, but, you know, it's like I don't know if that's a conversation we could have, like, in real time in person because after a while I'm going to start getting upset. Because we're talking again about things that it's like I have yes. experience in. It's it's basically like someone coming in and just being like, "No, that part of your life is wrong, just wrong, and it's wrong for a bunch of reasons that I right. hold." And so it's you know you hit a point where it's like, "Well, Done. can you at least respect my opinion as much as you respect yours?" I'm not saying it has to win over you know. I'm not saying you have to change your mind, but could you at least you know elevate my own narrative about my own life? To the level where you don't get to be right over that because you're not me, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not something where we can both read the book of what it is to be Courtney and then argue about which interpretation is correct. It's like I am actually the expert of my own experience. Yeah. But, but it's, I mean, it's interesting because, I mean, the, part of the problem with the net is this distancing effect where you feel like the person at the other end doesn't really exist and so you can argue about them in the abstract or just hurl abuse. Um, but um, you were sort of turning that back and saying, okay, that means I've got enough distance that I can actually have a conversation with you rather than um, just leaving the room and, and you know, Right, because it's like, again, it's like... It's my bad experience, yeah. Yeah, because if it was happening in real time, I would, again, have to, like, right. go have a drink of water and go walk around the yes. block and do all that stuff, but the person's still there and then they're feeling neglected. Whereas I think with Twitter, especially, everyone understands that at any given time, there might be a 12-hour delay between, you, you know, your last tweet and your next one because time zones, because life, right. you know, et cetera. So. It's asynchronous enough, but real-time enough. Yeah. Yes. It, it, can, right? it can be either. Yeah. Um, but that, I just, I put a, a post up by, um, by the Fugitivist blog talk, mm-hmm. talking yeah. about which, which I don't know if you read this one before. I love that one. Because it, it, it narrates this so well of what the real life experience is like. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, that's the one, if you're, you know, Myers and the others who are saying, oh, it, it, the humor can be about this. Read that one first before you, and then before you think about making rape jokes again. That, that was the one I read and I thought, right, I'm sending this to my, my teenage sons to read um, to make sure that they understand this too. Yeah, that, I'm extremely grateful for her blog because she has articulated, like, in that post in particular, and it's a long one, but my God, like, I feel like I'm like, that's it one is. of those things where I'm like, wow, okay, you probably know me pretty well, even though we've never met. Um, just or the way she puts forth the idea that it's like you're living in a world with a different set of rules. And so, right. you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. impossible to understand that until you're also living in that world, which nobody wants. So... Yeah, it's it's I mean to me what what what, what is really incredible of what you're you're talking about is a couple of things is that you know a your courage for sticking through it by the way but also the 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 ability of you know what do you think it was like the sort of ability that was it because it was such a personal issue to you that you sort of stuck with it and kept conversing with these folks? Are you a glutton for punishment? <laughs> <laughs> well, part of it, honestly, and that's where the, so eventually what I did, and I think what got Heather's attention and sort of mm-hmm. put me into this is I uh, was having a really hard time understanding what was happening uh, to me okay. because it, while doing all this and while writing all these posts and having all this dialogue with people and um, getting a lot of like really good interest interesting conversations also like with, you know with a side of death threats um i stopped eating uh i stopped mm-hmm. bathing for a few days not like i just my 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 routine yeah. of stuff sure. just was happening a lot less frequently uh this was when i was freelancing so fortunately like leaving the house was not an issue but i mean for a full week and a half i didn't leave the house ever right which is not yeah. like me uh but it wasn't a thing where it's like you wake up and think, well, I'm going to do these behaviors. It's just like, well, I'm going to wake up and like I had to check my email because good God, if I didn't, um, I had to approve posts. And so then that would take all day. It just would. Mm. And I had no appetite because all of a sudden I just um, felt like I was going to throw up all the time. And it just mm. did. Like it just happened. And I just stopped sleeping at all i just would sit and like and i just started shaking spontaneously i didn't really cry about anything i just 
would just be really tense. And then I would just start vibrating and like wake my partner up, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and then eventually he'd go back to sleep and eventually like the sun would come back up and then I'd get back out of bed. I, it, but, you know, it just, these things were just occurring and it, it, but it wasn't like, I mean, I used to be really, really depressed. It didn't feel like that. It, it wasn't motivated by anything. I didn't feel it was like more it was, felt like you were being assaulted and it's like, it was I just mean, really <laughs> numb. And so I was like, I yeah. had no way to gauge when I was tired or not. I had no way to gauge when I was hungry or not. I just felt completely disconnected. And so I finally was like, okay, it's time to do some data analysis. Uh, oh my God, that's so funny. <laughs> that's that's yeah. how I react to things. And I was, I couldn't figure out, um, a good way to do it. Fortunately, my partner is, uh, a, one of the experts in the field of like metrics and data visualization. So he, oh, cool. We'll have to follow up really and talk about that one. He was like, Hey, uh, yeah, no, you can really easily like, you know, IBM has this program called many eyes and let me scrape your comments real quick. And, Oh, wow. Mm. Look at, <laughs> let's look at how people are talking to you. And then I was yes. like, can you separate out the ones that I trashed and wouldn't let through moderation from like the rest of it? And he's like, Oh, Hey, yes. we can. And then this is awesome. That, that- those are amazing. There's, there's, there's ABs on that, yeah. Yeah, and so that's when... Uh, hey, Heather's on. Hi, Heather. Heather? I don't think she's on the... No, she's walking to a new place. Keep going. I want okay. to hear more about this analysis. Oh. Hopefully so, we'll yeah, so that, so that kicked off. And so that gave me something to do, uh, which was helpful. It also, even though it was really exhausting to go back through, like, almost a 1,000 comments, because uh, I just took the first week. So it was, like, 900 in the first week. And, um, and went through all of those, cut all of mine out and just looked at everybody else's, tried to come up with some classifications, uh, Lucas on Twitter, L O O O C A S, um, also provided a lot of like suggestions and help on figuring out ways to like divide the data and categorize stuff. And then I just subjectively did it. And I know people have been, some people have been rightfully critical about the way I broke this down, but. It was really less of a academic, um, I'm not ever going to try and publish this. I just needed to do it. So, right. <laughs> of course, so then, so then you get criticism for your, for your process. Yeah. <laughs> so like, well, you know, and obviously I should have had someone else do it because I'm not objective. Right, I'm like, right, yeah, right. No, I get it, but I had to do it. So, uh, this, was uh, therapy. I, this was not a, a PhD thesis. Right. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I, I put all that together and we sort of looked at what shook out. And one thing that was really nice is I was like, okay. So, yeah, the people who I'm not letting into the conversation really are talking to me in a completely different way. And that really is, like, awful. Um, I'm not making that up. And, like, okay, so there really has been a lot of web traffic. And I'm not making that up. And, like, okay, I, you know, these are the words that are getting directed at me all the time. And they're really painful and sucky. And, like, why would people say that stuff? And it, it started actually helping me to process it in, like, tiny chunks because looking at, like, word visualizations kind of helps my brain figure out, like, oh, okay, so this is something we can actually be upset about. Like, because I think I was just sort of paralyzed for a while. Like, I don't know what's going on, but it's become my life. And... I don't know how to cope with that. So. so it was having the data and then being able to sort of like look at it a little bit more objectively and then and then sort of it, it gave you tools to to weed through it, to to connect yeah. to those folks and yeah. and realize where it was also good to spend your energy and not good to spend your energy. Right, exactly. And like and in that, another, a layer on top of this is that when you're handling stuff like this and it is personal, and this is one of the things where I feel like um, – it gets really difficult when people are like, well, minorities need to speak up and like educate everybody about them. It's like, well, but it's really draining because I've, I don't normally mm. really get triggered by, you know, like uh, the PTSD I have surrounding my rape. Uh, mm-hmm. I was, I got like daily, like all, all the time sure. because I don't normally oh, talk yes. about it that often. I certainly right. don't think about it. Yeah. And you don't generally encounter like dozens of people on a daily basis describing to you how they wish they could rape you, you know, cause they hate you so much. Right. And so after a while, it's just like, it, 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 it's like, why did I open my stupid mouth? Like, right. I don't want to think about this anymore. Why would anybody, like, oh my God, you know, like, why don't I shut up? And so it gets really hard to, you know, deal with all of that and still be like this paragon of education and like neutrality and make the right. feel really right. comfortable with you and not be too angry because you don't want to be like putting off people who could be allies, you know, like there's a lot of pressure to sort of mm. represent the front <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and how you do that. So 
That's yeah, you now I, represent I, everyone. You yeah, know, you can't argue so much with data. Like, they, you can't. You can call me whatever you want, but like the comments happened, and those are the word visualizations off of them. Like, that's real. That's so. that right. And 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 to me, one of the reasons that I love data visualization. Period, is because it takes things that are these sort of if done well, right? New, you know, these very um, antiseptic numbers. Yeah. And if it, if you connect the information with the right visualization, it, it brings out emotion and it can catalyze people. Like taking poverty and, and, you know, putting it in a great data visualization across the globe or GMP or anything or, you know, personal affronts to you, you know, and flipping that out can sort of quote unquote in a neutral way, like you said, show people, no, this is... This is a motive. It's not just numbers, right? So it's also, it goes both ways, right? Like what you're talking about. It's like numbers right. are neutral, but then if you take the numbers and you visualize them differently, they can, they can work to, to catalyze and support emotion. So it's kind of interesting how they can, and that's why that, a lot of the stuff that's going on with this is really fascinating. Myers had a great, while you were describing in the chat room, while you were describing sort of at this time, you had to be this sort of neutral, right, you know, um, mm-hmm knowledge base, right? Um, a, a big job of, of, of uh, Tumblr in a social situation is to cast a spell of safety. And I think that's an interesting way of framing it, right? So, and it, you know, it might not have been used so much in this situation, but, you know, the, the person who is the Tumblr often has to make both sides feel safe. Mm-hmm. And the only way you're going to be able to connect to people on the other side of this story was to sort of make it safe, ironically. Right. They're attacking you, but you had to make it safe. Well, (laughs) that's where, especially for nerds, like we all, that was really funny because the feedback I got universally, even from people who disagreed with me were like, that was really horrible what happened to you, but this is really cool. But I mean, like, it's sad that, you know, you were able to make this, but it's really awesome that you made it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, we'll definitely put it up in the in the show. Um, so what I'm going to do, because we're sort of trying to be really good and keep our, our actual podcast to an hour, is I'm going to wrap up the show, but we're going to do a part de in the chat room, you know, post show that we'll also tape and hopefully Heather will join us. So for those of us sort of really interested um, in following this topic, there will be a part two. And I'm going to wrap this up really quickly because uh, because of this amazing story, we'll, we'll keep it going um, a little bit longer in the chat room because there's really a lot to dig into on this. So this is the end of part one of episode 60. For more about Tumbling, please follow us on TumbleVision.tv, T-U-M-M-E-L-V-I-S-I-O-N.tv, also at TumbleVision on Twitter. You can check out our archived episodes with all our amazing guests and find out how to listen and participate in the live show every Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific and 9 p.m. Eastern. Please also um, make sure if you like our show, go up and give us a review on iTunes. And Tumble Vision is produced in Baltimore, Maryland by Andrew Hazlett of the newmodern.net. Thank you. Thank you.